This morning, we are going to be finishing the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And it really has been quite a blessing getting to delve into the opening of this beautiful book. And as we finish this chapter this morning, by the end, we really have such a reminder of how incredible our Savior King Jesus is. The fact that he's 100% God, 100% man, 100% the way, the truth, and the life. Now, as we prepare to delve into the Word of God this morning, a reminder, set aside the distractions. So if you've got your phone or if it's there, turn off the notifications. I've said it, I'll say it again. Set that custom app setting so that nothing disrupts you so you can focus on the Word, focus on listening to what the Lord has for you this morning. Don't think about the chores that need to get done. Don't think about whatever you want to think about. Just focus on the word right now. Remember, when Jesus saw the two disciples that were following him after John had said, Behold the Lamb of God, what did he turn and say? What do you seek? So a question, what do you seek this morning? Do you have a preset agenda in your head? Are you lost in the hustle and bustle of the day? Lost in the hustle and bustle of your emotions? Were you on autopilot when you drove to 1129 Weaver Dairy Road? Because think about as we've seen in Psalms, as we've gone through, the heart matters that we come before the presence of God with. And if we just rush, we enter, thank you, Michelle, we enter with his emotions, we enter with our emotions, we enter with our feelings, and we end up deceiving ourselves because we don't actually take the time to set our heart right so that we're rooted in the evidence of who God is. We're rooted in the faith that we have in God, not our emotions, not our feelings. Check the psalm study. We're really digging into that. That just keeps popping out. Show up if you haven't yet. But the question, what do you seek? Our time of worship is a time that we have. It's, yes, we sing these songs, but it's a time to get our hearts ready to go before the Lord. You know, we start at 10 a.m., you get this long time. I know it can be hard to get to church on time. Guilty as charged, men's Bible study when we had it at 7.15, I'd be hustling and hustling, and sometimes I'd tell myself, you know, if I had a million dollars I was coming to get at 7.15, I'd be right on time. So just, again, making sure we prioritize the Lord. What do you seek? Seek God alone, Christ alone. Seek before you enter into the word that the Holy Spirit fills you so that you're open to his conviction. It's a word we don't like saying in our culture today. We don't like thinking there's something wrong with me. Conviction, it's necessary. Be open to that before we even go in here. The goal when we open the word is not about an experience. If you're here for an experience this morning, you're not going to get it. If you're here for me to fulfill your emotional needs and justify what you want to do in your life, you're not going to get it. We are here to come and seek the Lord. We are here to grow. We are here to be refined. We're here to be equipped to live for him, to glorify him, to be comforted by his Holy Spirit that then no matter what comes our way, we're ready to navigate it. So saints of Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, on this date, August 13th, what do you seek? Where is your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to come into your word, Lord. And Father, I pray that you help us to always take that time to check our hearts before we come into your presence, Heavenly Father. 
to purge us of ourselves, Lord God, and to remove the emotions and feelings to focus on you, to be open to you, Lord God. We can cry out our emotions and feelings, Lord, yes, but as David did, we need to look at the character of you. We need to look at the evidence of who you are. Holy Spirit, fill me to be able to pour out to your people this morning. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for your presence and your power within each and every single person in here to receive the conviction and the blessings that you have for them from your word today, Lord. Because it's about you. It's about running the race for you. Help us, Lord, to focus only on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we had those questions to ponder. Middle schoolers who joined us now, youth, you know, we get these questions, we, like it, we look at them, and right off the bat, one of the things we were pondering over the week was, what do you seek? We already hit that just right now. But how do you truly answer that question? What do you truly seek in your life? And I encourage you to continue to pray through that, ponder that, and take things in prayer to the Lord that need a shift, that need a change. Secondly, come and see. That phrase was a charge to dwell in his presence more, not be on autopilot. How many of you actually took your devices and checked your screen time and saw how much time do I spend on YouTube? How much time do I spend on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on whatever you want to call it? Or you can go on like Daily Wire and pat yourself on the back. I'm looking at stuff that's you know, conservative. I do too. But how much time are you spending on that? versus the amount of time you're coming and seeing the word of God, being in his presence, being with him. So I'm curious how many actually did that. And then when you take what you've seen, share it. Share with people what you have seen. So again, shifting and prioritizing that we put the word of God first, that we put tending for his temple, our bodies that he's given us first for his glory. Lastly, what kind of disciple are you? Where do you need to surrender? Did you ponder and pray through, what do I need to lay down, give up, to be closer to Christ? To be closer to who Christ wants me to be? Did you ponder, is the thing that I'm doing, that I'm all invested in, is that really for the Lord, or is it all about me? Did you ponder these things? So we're just over a month of me being your pastor, and these charges, are you hearing them and actually taking them to prayer? Or do you just hear it, kind of take it here, and then you go about your week, and then we come back, and I bring it, it's like, oh, yeah, I should have thought about that. Are you actually doing that? Also, are you seeking the Holy Spirit for whatever else outside of that that he convicts you of to grow? The word that we're in isn't just for this moment this morning. I can't stress that enough. It's for all times. It's for us to ponder it, to dwell on it, to see, Lord, you've put me here in this church at this time, and this is what we're studying. There's a reason. Help me to prayerfully discern that, that I can be who you need me to be. Because we're made by him, we're made for him. And we get eternity with him. So we're going to go onward now to a message I've entitled Beyond Expectations. Now, we all live a life with expectations. Whether or not we want to admit it, we all have expectations. Think about it. When I get married, I want my spouse to be like dot, dot, dot. That person leading this business or this organization better be like this, dot, dot, dot. Johnny's new teacher this fall better be like dot, dot, dot. When I go to church, the worship music needs to sound like dot, dot, dot. Often, our experiences... And our expectations are rooted 
in self, rooted in me, rooted in what I want. Why? Because I deserve what I want. But a question, do you really deserve what you want? If God is the God of creation, if God is sovereign, if God is in control of all things, if God reigns, if sin is ever present in this world, and if the fall brought the fact that we're all sinners and deserve death, what do we truly deserve other than death? Nothing. Nothing. And the reality we have to see is our selfish, our materialistic, our me-centered culture makes us all think that we deserve something. We deserve to have opinions on everything. We deserve to impose our opinions on everything, on other people as fact. We deserve whatever we want, yet in reality, we deserve nothing but death. And I need us to shift to that mindset this morning. Can you go on that journey with me? Can you surrender the idea you deserve anything at all except death for the fact that we're sinners and then ponder this beautiful chapter we've read thus far. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus. He takes away the death we deserve. We deserve death. We should expect death. But in Christ... Our death is experienced way beyond our expectations because it is death to self, born again, new in him. Hallelujah. How beautiful that is. You see, when we make that shift, I don't deserve anything but that, but for the grace of God, you now have an eternal mindset beyond expectations. The encounter we're going to see with Jesus throughout this gospel, but particularly these verses today, remind us, We serve a God beyond expectations. Now, I have to pause there, sadly, in our culture today, that beyond expectations doesn't mean that I'm telling you now you can run and like, yes, yes, you know, God told me I'm going to be famous. God told me I'm going to do this. God said, no, those are emotions and feelings. And remember what we've studied in Psalms. Before we say that, have you actually entered into his presence with the right heart, making it not about you, but about him, And have you actually been in the word so that he can minister? The God that we serve beyond expectations is not my invitation for health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I just want to be clear because when we hear beyond expectations, a little bug can go on. Oh, I can have whatever I want. No, fake news. You can have what God wants because he's sovereign. So stand with me, saints, and let's read John 1 verses 44 to 51. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son. Of man. Heavenly Father, thank you for this 
verses, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to be in it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me, get me out of the way, that I can be your vessel for your people, that each and every single person would receive the manna that you have for them, remove the distractions, set everything aside, that our eyes are fixed on you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we saw that this was the next day of the seven-day journey, remember, of how this gospel starts, the gospel of John. And Jesus had gone to Philip. Now, when we see Philip here, the other gospels make it clear he would have known him already. So this encounter with Philip a few verses before, where we see the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. We get the moment of invitation. Now, that's a reminder to us that that person that you might invite to church, that person that you might be sharing the gospel with, they're not, you know, day one, they haven't just said, okay, I'm all in. Keep praying, keep praying, surrender it to the Holy Spirit. Be in prayer that their core being would find that conviction and they would hear that follow me and surrender and surrender fully. So we read in verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Bethsaida, the place that means house of fishing, located on the east of the Jordan River's northern inlet into the Sea of Capernaum. Philip is from this area. Andrew and Peter were originally from Bethsaida, but as we learn in Mark, and any of the youth group experts on the Gospel of Mark can tell you more, move to Capernaum. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip surrenders all. He just surrendered all. The follow me happens, he does it. What does he do next? He goes and tells a friend about Jesus. He goes to Nathanael. He says, we found him whom Moses and the law and so the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now in this, we look at the people we see here. Philip, whose name means horse lover and is a name with roots that would be in Hellenistic Judaism culture. So we've got that going on. Then Nathanael, whose name means gift of God. Two different cultures by the origin of their names, but those cultures mingling, coming together in Christ. Reminder to us where we are in the midst of a country with many different cultures, many different divisions, the unity can be found in Christ. And we see that as they come to believe, as they run the race for Christ. Now, Nathaniel, we don't see him mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels. But what's interesting in the settings in the other Gospels where we see Philip, we see one mention named Bartholomew. And it is likely, it is believed that that is indeed the same person, Bartholomew, Bar, son of Thelomamios. Uh, that name, we'll get that later. Philip makes a few more appearances in this Gospel. And when he mentions concern, we'll see in chapter 6 at the miracle, miraculous feeding, in chapter 12, we'll see Greeks come to ask him, we want to see Jesus. And in chapter 14, the evening, that final evening with Christ, we'll see him be the one to say, show us the Father. That'll be sufficient for us. Show us the Father. Now, here, Jesus invites Philip to follow. Right away, he follows and he invites someone else to know he's here. What does that mean for us? We, too, are called to witness. We're called to share about Jesus. I personally think our cancel culture and the mess of what's going on in our world has people not sharing as boldly 
as we should. I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to get canceled. Or the sharing that's happening is such a compromised and deceptive gospel that it's not actually rooted on the word of God. Yet we see here that we need to do that. And a reminder, because we'll then also spend time thinking about globally spreading the word, which is vital. But when Jesus says, go into all the world, a friendly reminder, America, the street you live on in Mebane, that's part of the world. Share the gospel. But then the question can say, well, how do I do it, Pastor Vince? How do I do that? How do I share the gospel? Look at what Philip says. He says here, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Right there, Philip is witnessing. And in that witness, he bases his testimony about God on one thing alone, the word of God. Look what he says. Moses in the law, also the prophets wrote. He doesn't make it about himself in that moment. He makes it about the word of God. Now, I know I keep talking about emotions and feelings. I don't want you to think I want us to be this heartless group of people. No, that's not what I'm saying. But Philip doesn't go, Nathaniel, I feel like I need to tell you about this person I just met. I think he'd be really good for you in your life. You really, I just, I feel like he'd be great. No, that's not what Philip says. Philip doesn't say, I think you need to meet Jesus. God just told me that you need to meet Jesus inside of me. I feel like it's now. It's the time for me to tell you that you need him. This is the time right now. No, he just puts his feelings. He puts the emotions aside and he puts the word of God. And that's a powerful and important tool in witnessing. Because when we put the word of God in our witness, guess what? That's now what they have to wrestle with. They're not wrestling with me. They're not wrestling with you. They're focused on that. When we get lost in our emotions of I think and I feel, that's when the response will be, well, I'm glad that works for you. It doesn't work for me. You, because you've made it all about you. Now, that's not to say when you've given the word of God, he's going to open opportunity to share about everything God has done in your life. And it's beautiful. But that comes from the bridge of allowing the Holy Spirit, God, to do what he does first. So we see here, Philip points to Moses and the law. And he also points to the prophets. Jesus of Nazareth, he says, son of Joseph. Now, to note that son of Joseph He's not discrediting the virgin birth in that moment. What he is, he's just identifying the way people were identified culturally at that time. Son of whoever. And we see here, what is Nathanael's answer? Verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Okay, my context. Take scripture in context. PSA, take scripture in context. Nathanael's not bashing Nazareth right now. Now, there could be some things that aren't great about Nazareth, yes, but if we take this in the context of this whole passage and where we'll later see the reference to under the fig tree, which will be explained, Nathaniel's pointing to what he knows of in the scriptures already. He knows, prophecy says, Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. How could it be Nazareth? Nazareth, that's an obscure place. There's less than 2,000 people there. Nothing great comes from there. The scripture says it's Bethlehem. No. How, how can... How, how, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In that moment, Nathaniel has his own biases based on what he knows of Scripture in that moment. And he uses that to discount what Philip is saying. He can't accept the idea that Philip has found the one spoken of Scripture because he's looking at it, it's not lining up. In this moment, Nathaniel's that picture of that Pope person we're witnessing to, we've shared the word of God with, 
and they object to Christ because of prejudices against what we're saying, and they don't want to hear the truth. Has that ever happened to anybody? Somebody objects when you share the gospel. How does Philip handle it? A lesson for us. Look what he says. Philip said to him, come and see. What? There's no arguing. There's no debating. He doesn't try to go to prove, no, 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 you're wrong. And let me tell you why you're wrong. He just says, come and see. And this is something we can't gloss over or miss. When we looked at Psalm this last week and saw the false accusations coming to David, we talked a little bit about our digital age. And the digital age that we're in, somebody posts a comment, then you make a comment, then they make a comment, then you make a comment, or I'm going to write you, I'm going to write you, back and forth and back and forth. Our culture right now says fight. Our culture says debate. And sadly, for some in witnessing, they think that to witness, I need to have an army of arsenal of ammo ready to shoot when they tell me I don't believe in Jesus. I'm ready to go. You don't, well, let me tell you why. I know this. I know that. No. Look at what he just says here. Come and see. Come and see. What does that mean to us? That person says, well, I, I, I don't really, I don't know how Jesus could be Messiah. Okay, well, you want to visit church with me sometime? I don't think that Jesus could be what you're saying. All right, you, you want to read a little bit of a book of the Bible with me? I don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's, I don't see it. Can you read this? That's what we do in those moments. Come and see. Come and see. And there's also something important to note for the person who might be thinking, well, okay, I'm hearing all this, but I don't know, I don't know enough. I can't tell people about Jesus just yet. How much did Philip know at this moment? He didn't know much, but he goes and brings what he knows, and he points to come and see. In the sharing of our faith, don't get lost in the burden of putting a fight and debate on. Instead, come and see Put it on them and then pray. Let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. Our job, we're the bridge and we have to get out of the way. Now, another interesting thing, because we have here Jesus of Nazareth. And if you think about it, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And we could wonder, well, why doesn't at some point do we not read that Jesus says, okay, let me get this right for you all. I'm actually Jesus of Bethlehem. Why doesn't that happen? Think about when we looked at the introduction of this book. And we talked about that there's spiritual truths that come. There's truths, but people, because of darkness, darkness of mind can't see it. And there's truths that the Lord doesn't reveal everything or doesn't correct everything the way we might want to see it with that because he wants us to dig in more. Think about chapter 2 where we're going to see he talks about the temple being destroyed and rebuilt. They're just going to take that as the physical temple. Dig deeper. It's his body. Chapter 3, we're going to see the idea of being born again. I'm going in the womb again? What are you talking about? No, it's spiritual rebirth. When we see the living water, all of these things we'll see are charges and reminders to dig deeper. Dig in more. Yes, there's Jesus of Nazareth here, but dig in deeper. And we see he uses that to point to the fact God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. And then when we dig deeper more, we see more of who he is in the word alone. 
So Nathanael's response to this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. So we see his response. All right, I'll come see. I'll go. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. So Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him, and he's going, and Nathanael expects that he's going to see not the Messiah, because the Messiah would be of Bethlehem. But what he is going to see is a Messiah beyond expectations. Because Jesus comes, and right away he says to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. This is an interesting moment. Turn to Genesis 27 with me. And we look at verse 30 here. Now it happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, that name supplanting, overreaching, heel? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Jacob, the first Israelite, cunning, scheming, full of deceit. And he, now Nathanael's coming, who is a descendant of Jacob, Jesus sees and calls who he is, an Israelite with no deceit. In one sentence, Jesus makes it clear to Nathanael, I see your character. You're genuine. You're sincere, no deceit, no masks, no hypocrisy in you. That's a pulse check for us. We're redeemed by his blood, right? When Jesus is coming towards you, what does he see of your character? Are you genuine? Are you sincere? Do you smile at that person when we're all together and then go and badmouth them when we're not together? Is who we see here who you really are? Who are we? And we have to search what deceit is in you. What masks do you wear? Where has hypocrisy crept in? Not fun things to wrestle with, did it this week, not fun, but essential. Because the beautiful thing of God's word, as it comes up, we get to have that double-edged sword do what it does. And we get to prayerfully look. And we have to do that because as the double-edged sword we have to allow every nook and cranny of the text and of the word of God work on every nook and cranny of our being for his glory. So here Jesus calls out his character, and it's good in this case. And then we see Nathanael's reaction. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Now think about when we search our character, when we go before the Lord in prayer, guess what? Jesus already knows Jesus knows our character. Think about the journey to salvation. 
It's one of those things I love when we, we gather and you're talking with someone and you see the testimony because there's always that underlying theme where you're like, Jesus knew everything about me. How do you know? How did he know that? Philip, all he said was come and see. And then he puts the living word as flesh in front of him. He comes to see him. The living word speaks. The Holy Spirit through the word can bring about that conviction. And as that conviction comes, that's the how do you know me? That's when we're pondering the word and we're reading the word of God and there's stuff going on and wherever we are in the word of God, you're like, this is hitting way too close to home. I'm going to take a little break. No, keep reading. Go to him in prayer. Go to him to do the work that he's trying to do through you because guess what? Jesus already knows everything. There's no surprises to him. He knows every single thing about us. Continuing on verse 48. Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Again, beyond expectation is this God. Because first, the expectation is you're not going to be the Messiah. He shows up, there's no deceit in you. How do you know me? Then he goes further and he says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we talked about briefly we were going to hit this under the fig tree phase because the context of why Nathaniel's not just going on a rant about Nazareth is because, again, he was looking to the scripture. Scriptures are saying Messiah is going to be from Bethlehem. And under the fig tree is a phrase that rabbis would use to describe meditation on the scriptures, pondering the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, I saw you. So think about that. It's like, where did he see him? Was he, he could have been under a fig tree, literally doing that, but he's pondering the scriptures. Jesus saw it. Jesus is supernatural knowledge. And guess what? That's what we see from creation because he's the pre-existent God. Adam and Eve, when they're hiding and trying to run away, what does God say? Where are you? Guess what? He knew where they were. When we try to run from God, he knows where we are. Jesus sees us always. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts that you're thinking in your mind right now. He knows everything. And in that, he wants you to know he knows so that you come to the place of full surrender, of fully living in him, with him, and for him. Jesus saw Nathaniel. He saw him meditating on the scriptures. And in that moment, I wonder if the reference we're going to see later on Jacob's ladder, perhaps that's the very spot that he was meditating on in that moment, which would have even given a bigger blow. Oh, not only did you know I was in the scriptures, you knew what I was reading, because he knows all. Jesus knows all. And that's the journey we go through with salvation. He sees that soul seeking to learn more, seeking to commune with him more. And then the tender moment of salvation comes when one can have total surrender and say, Lord, give you my all, give you my life, take it all. I'm yours because you are. And think about Nathaniel. How did he come? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He came as a skeptic. He came with skepticism. That permeates our culture today. So what should we be doing? Get out there and tell people, come and see. Hold pieces of paper, say, come and see, and just put whatever behind it or bring them to church. Because guess what? He meets Jesus. He goes and sees. And then look what happens in verse 49. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In boom, that moment, 
There's a testimony now coming from Nathaniel. In one verse, he calls him rabbi in submission, son of God, seeing the relation to God the Father, and king of Israel, seeing he is Messiah, truly come. Only by God. Son of God, the messianic title that shows one who has the true destiny that of Israel would be fulfilled, the hope found in Christ alone in the deity of Jesus. King of Israel, Think of what we saw in Psalm 2 where the kings, we learned they were always referred to as anointed ones. And in that blessed Psalm, we see the king that's going to come reign is Jesus. He becomes king on God's terms. So these two titles that he puts right there, son of God, king of Israel, is going to go way beyond anything they could ever imagine. Because culturally, they had expectations of Messiah to come political figure, going to give us our freedom, we're going to have everything that we need. No, 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 this goes way beyond. It's an eternal kingdom that he brings. Verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus points that the belief, it's coming from a supernatural knowledge because he, he said to him, I saw you under the fig tree. He's showing 100% God, 100% man. Yet, that's already wow. If I were Nathaniel in that moment, I would just be like overwhelmed. And then he says, you will see greater things than these. And as we move on, we're going to be getting into chapter 2. And we're going to see from chapters 2 to 12, those seven signs that we talked about in the introduction of this book. We're going to see Jesus reveal and do greater things than these. And for us, with the entire counsel of the word of God, we get to see that that greater thing is beyond any expectation because we know of the rapture. We know of the millennial reign. We know of all to come at the end. We know of that. And it's the same portrait and story of salvation because you have that moment of salvation. Then prayerfully, you enter into that discipleship 24-7, journey of sanctification, his perpetual grace, his perpetual mercy, love, sustaining us in the midst of trials and tribulations, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the word of God as a lamp and light and a sword to slay the darts that come. And how much more then do we have that drive to run the race to eternity? Beyond expectations. Frederick Brotherton Meyer, who was a Baptist preacher and evangelist, had words on this verse that I want to share. Have you known Christ as the word? He is more, both spirit and life. Has he become flesh? You shall behold him glorified with the glory he had before the worlds. Have you known him as alpha before all? He is also omega. Have you met John? You shall meet one so much greater. Do you know the baptism by water? You shall be baptized by fire. Have you beheld the lamb on the cross? You shall behold him in the midst of the throne. Beyond expectations. Verse 51. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Most assuredly, some translations truly, truly, we're going to see that about... 25 times within this particular gospel. And the word there is plural, you. Application to all who hear, all who read. 
you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now again, Nathanael was under the fig tree studying scriptures. Again, I wonder, was that exactly where he was? Was he at that point of reading about Jacob's ladder? In this one moment, Jesus gives, again, that charge, dig in. Because there's two references to Old Testament scripture in this that those who had ears to truly hear would hear and would see. The angels of God ascending and descending. Think about Genesis. Jacob's on the run, fugitive, feeling alone. God sends angels, Genesis 28, 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And now Jesus is pointing the ladder between heaven and earth is Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Men, we went through Hebrews with Pastor David. Remember that study. Go through that book, everyone. Grill him on questions because that is a mind-blowing book when you go through that. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We get to enter the holiest. We don't have, it's not just the priest going in to the temple. We enter by his blood, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. Through the veil, what's the veil? That is his flesh. Nathaniel meets Messiah beyond expectations. And Jesus in this moment is saying, hey, I'm going to be the latter. You can have communion with God the Father always and at any time through me. It gives greater depth to a verse we all know, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Don't leave off that last part. No one comes to the Father except through me. Youth group, that would be a cliche verse we would do. And I'll just hit that with youth really quickly because think about it. If you look at all the Christian garb that's out there, you always see on the t-shirts, way, truth, life, way, truth, life, way, truth, life, mug, way, truth, life, keychain, way, truth, life, all of this. But it leaves off the most important nugget. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't just know he's way, truth, life. You need to surrender to way, truth, and life. You need to yield to way, truth, and life. Now, also in this moment, who does Jesus say it's going that, that the angels of God are ascending and descending upon? He doesn't say me. He says, the son of man. This is a phrase we're going to see over 80 times in the Gospels. We'll see it about 13 in here. And it points to his humanity. Now, this is a special moment where, again, that darkness and the spiritual truth, those who had ears to hear would go, whoa, 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 son of man, son of man. That's, that's, I know that. Daniel, Daniel 7. I was watching, Daniel 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. 
You want to say the Old Testament doesn't matter? Come on. Look at this one verse, the reference to Jacob's ladder, and this, this powerful prophecy of the empire of the Antichrist completely crushed for the millennial reign of King Jesus who will ultimately reign forever and ever. Amen. It's a powerful moment. He takes this title for himself, son of man, and in it also says, we're not going political. We're not going nationalistic. Son of man. He takes to his humanity. He takes to God become flesh for us. Son of man is something that we need to remember that we don't get lost in the political sphere, liberal, conservative, this or that. Be invested in our local government. Never going to say not to do that. But saints, our citizenship is in heaven. We are servants of the Lord God, Jesus Christ. That's our focus. That's our identity. That's where we need to root ourselves. And we see that in that. Because son of man, through that, it's God sent from heaven in the flesh to suffer death for all. And that's chapter one of this book. That's where we land. The son of man coming. Now the first half of this chapter established John the Baptist fulfilling his call and role, pointing to Christ, showing us Jesus' pre-existent state, the reality. Salvation is by him alone. The beauty of Jesus coming into humanity for our salvation. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second half of this chapter, we saw the path of men beginning to meet Jesus, Messiah, his disciples coming. Now we got to think of how they came. Andrew comes to Jesus through the preaching of John. Peter comes to Jesus through the witness of his brother. Philip comes to Jesus through direct invitation with him, follow me. Nathaniel comes to Jesus after reconciling his own biases, uncertainties of this Messiah, and then has a personal encounter with Jesus. John preached the words that God told him. Andrew shared the words he heard from Jesus. Philip shares the words from Old Testament scripture. Nathaniel heard the words from Jesus' lips himself. Notice the theme of what brings them to Jesus. The Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word. We have to remember, Jesus and his Word have to be at the center. We have to get out of the way. In John 1, remember what we saw, this very chapter, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the, light, the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Be the bridge to Jesus, because we can't make salvation happen. You could read many great pamphlets on witnessing, not knocking them, and it'll have step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, step four, do this, never knocking it. But notice in this account, in this chapter, we have four different men, and there were four different ways with the word at the center. So what's the protocol for witnessing? Share the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work he does. Get out of the way. What's the method? Jesus, the word. What's the method? Being prayed up, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you to be able to share, to have the power, to have the courage to do that, and trusting the Holy Spirit to have you meet the person that's before you that you're sharing with where they need to be met. 
And Luke, uh, youth, this is that Luke 9.23 moment. It's a lot easier to do that when we deny ourselves daily. When we take what we learned in Psalms and rise early to commune and be with the Lord, that we set ourselves right for the day. Now this chapter, in this one chapter alone, as we close this chapter, I want to point out, we got 11 titles for Jesus in this chapter. In verse 1, he's the Word. He is God. In verse 3, he is creator. In verse 7, he is light. In verse 14, he is the only begotten son. In verse 34, uh, sorry, in verse 29 and 36, he is the lamb of God. In verse 34, the son of God. In verse 38 and 49, he is rabbi. In verse 41, he is Messiah, Mashiach. In verse 49, he is king of Israel. In verse 51, he is son of man. Word, God, creator, light, only begotten son, lamb of God, son of God, rabbi teacher, Messiah, king of Israel, son of man. Thus I ask again, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? We've wrestled with that as we've worked through this chapter. Is Jesus truly enough for you? Is the word of God truly enough for you? Or do you have to insert your emotions, your feelings, your will, your way? Worse, do you mask it as Jesus without actually ever being in his presence? Remember what we also saw in this chapter. I am not the Christ. Are you able to put self aside and truly point people to Christ alone? God alone. Remember in this chapter, we saw the dove descending on the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Ponder, what is your communion with the Holy Spirit? Are you surrendered to him? Do you have communion with him? Do you misuse and abuse him? Remember, we talked about the idea when we say the Holy Spirit, this, this, that. Before that, have you been in the word of God, communing with him, entering into his presence with a genuine, humble heart that lets his word speak to you? Do you relish beholding the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you share the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? We also pondered, what do you seek? We ponder, do you come and see Jesus? Or is it Christian icons you come and see first? And then I'll make some time for Bible study. And we justify it often because it's what we want. But again, is Jesus enough? In this chapter, we ponder, what kind of disciple are you? Jesus says, follow me. How do you follow him? Who do you follow? Take inventory of that. Again, is the anchor the word of God, or is the anchor a person, a book, a podcast, a show? And how do you witness? Are you in the way? Do you invite people to see Jesus? Come and see church, study, a book of the Bible. There are also great tracts that have the scripture right there. Let them read it and do it. Invite them to see a verse and then they come to say, well, what does it mean to you? What has he done in your life? Do you realize, as Jesus said to Nathaniel, I saw you. Do you realize he sees you? And in the fact that Jesus knows all and sees you, what is he seeing as he looks at you right now? Are you under the fig tree or not? Do you meditate on the scripture 
Or do you just go on autopilot of passive Christianity? On the scripture, on the word of God, we also have to ponder, men, are you leading? Are you watering God's daughter and your family? Women, are you letting the man lead? Are you encouraging and empowering and surrendered to their leadership? Youth and teens in the room, are you bothering to open the word of God on your own and getting to know Jesus for yourself? Because you can't ride the coattails of whoever drove you here. We've talked about that many times. Saints, the question we need to ask ourselves ultimately is where are you today, right now, with word, God, creator, light, only begotten son, lamb of God, son of God, rabbi, teacher, Messiah, king of Israel, son of man, the only way to the father, Jesus. Our dive in chapter one, the charge I give you, meditate on these 51 verses. Go back and seek where am I with you, Lord? Where truly have I laid myself? Where truly, Lord, am I in relation to who you are as King of Kings, as Alpha and Omega? Saints, take Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Turn it into your prayer. Search me, O God, and know my Heart. He already knows it, but he needs you to tell him, I want you to search my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And don't just sit here and quote that verse and say that you know it without actually digging into it, guys. Dig into it and ask the Lord to truly search your hearts. We never have it all together. We're never there yet. I have to point that out because we have to continually say, I surrender. I need you. Search me. And if you want to know God more, dig in more. Turn to Proverbs 2 with me. My son, if you receive my words... So this is taking those words. Do you receive them? Do you bring them in? And treasure my commands within you. Your word I write on my heart that I might not sin against you. So that you incline your ear to wisdom. You shift your ear to this. This is wisdom. And apply your heart to understanding. Being a doer of the word. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, Cry out for his will and lift up your voice for understanding, understanding his way. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, where are you laying your treasures? Remember, we looked, lay at those eternal treasures. Then, it's a promise, you will understand, a promise, the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And what do we see in verse 7 of chapter 1? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, knowledge of God. We've lost that in our culture. We've lost this idea because we are too consumed with fearing man and we're too concerned with man's wisdom. So as we get ready to close today, I charge you, 
and encourage you. Be real with God. Be real with God. Think of who we saw that he is. Think of the word, God, creator, light, only begotten son, the lamb of God, son of God, rabbi, Messiah, king of Israel, son of man. Only one way, Jesus. So be real with him. If you don't know him, what are you waiting for? We know in scripture that if our name's not in the book of life, we're cast into the lake of fire eternally. Hell is real. Hell is a very real thing. It can be proven in the Bible. I don't want you to burn in hell. Put it bluntly. But what are you waiting for? What is holding you back from coming to that place of surrender to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I need you. And if your name is in the book of life, really go before him to search your heart. Turn that psalm that we looked at into a true prayer. Truly ask him to search you. Truly ask him to know your heart. Truly be real with God. Saints, we're way too quick to be real with somebody we barely know. And we won't go to the God of creation who knows everything about us and be real with him. So a reminder, we have prayer counselors that'll be here. I'm here and can pray with you. Pastor Jeff can pray with you. Pastor Dave can pray with you. The elders can pray with you. Elders' wives can pray with you. People here can pray with you. Don't just run up to go have coffee and yummies and talk with people and have fun time, never knocking that. But what is God putting here this morning? And take some time to talk to him about it. What, when you walk through this door, do you need to take to your prayer closet this week with the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we give you true thanksgiving, Lord, for who you are, for your grace, Lord, for your mercy, Lord, for your love, Lord. Father God, I just pray right now that anybody who does not know you yet, Lord, may come to that place of true surrender and repentance, Lord. Whatever is holding them back, Father God, that fear, what they're trying to get, the fear and concern of people's approval, Lord God, what will they think of me? People can't believe it. I can't change. I've tried this before. It doesn't work. Have you really fully surrendered? Have you given him all of you, every crevice of your heart? And Lord, help this precious body, Lord. Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, Lord, is such a special group of people, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to be the body you need us to be. And Lord, I pray that you help each and every single one of us to truly let you perform open heart surgery, Lord, that we would take these 51 verses and ponder them and seek your Holy Spirit filling us to know what it is you need us, Lord, to seek more of. Where do you need us to dig in deeper for the spiritual truth that will be treasure that we lay in heaven for your glory? Please, Jesus, help us to be real with you, Lord. 
Please, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that if anybody needs prayer today, if anybody has something that they need to lay before the foot of the cross, they wouldn't just leave this place and carry on on autopilot. You tell us, Lord, to think of the day at hand sufficient of those troubles. And I think, Lord, that's even a call to to not be on autopilot because we focus on one day at a time. And Lord, I pray that you would have the people that need prayer seek it. The enemy gets too much headway where we're too concerned to lay our cares with a brother or sister to the Lord. So help us to do that, Lord. Help people to come to the counselors, to me, to Jeff, to David, anybody, Lord, to seek prayer, Lord, to be who you need us to be for your glory alone. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.